Rashi and I are really building something from scratch, building something that is ours, something that we are solely and fully responsible for. It's an awesome feeling. It's so daunting, but it is an awesome feeling. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked to many guests who have moved from one career into one in the food industry, but what's that like for those looking to open their very first restaurant? Sarah Tiong is the co-owner of the soon-to-be-open Ogni in Surrey Hills, Sydney. Sarah, how are you? Hi, Anthony. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You're on the verge of opening your very first restaurant. How are you feeling? <laughs> it's right on the cusp. Oh my gosh. It's it's both stressful, stressful, exhilarating. Oh God, it's been a nightmare and a dream all at once. <laughs> have, have you, tell us a little bit about it. Have you bitten off more than you can chew? Like, is, are you surprised by what it takes to open a restaurant? Definitely surprised by what it takes because look, this has been what a couple years in the making now and and with serious venue you know inspections and all of that and of course this isn't our first venue that we've inspected Rashidol my business partner who was also a master chef actually and I we I mean we've gone through so many different things together um you know so many different venues so many different negotiations and that's really the hard part that that surprised me, you know, really trying to get what you want, but trying to be fair. Everybody's, you know, trying to make a dollar. Everybody's trying to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to find everything that ticks the boxes. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the site that you did settle on. Where Where is it and what's so great about it for what you're doing? So... We were lucky enough to actually get in touch with the owners of a restaurant called Seoul Dining, and they're one of Sydney's best Korean, modern Korean restaurants, actually. And they happen to be moving out of their venue at, um, sorry, Hills into a much larger venue. And, you know, they've experienced such success and growth, but we hit it off with them right away. And, they, you know, we were like, look, if, if you're open to it, we'd love to take over the venue, um, you know, and, and things sort of moved from there. And it was just literally just a stroke of luck that we were able to get in contact with them. Um, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> that that site's actually had a few different uh, restaurants in it from the Devonshire to, um, to as you say, um, Soul Dining. Um, have you changed much about the internals and the kitchen and things like that? So the kitchen's pretty much going to stay the same. Obviously, our equipment's coming in. Um, the so currently Soul Dining has this incredible halo of a light in the dining room. It's huge and it's it's like it's their centerpiece really. And that to me was the Soul Dining kind of signature. So we've had to go ahead and change that. And because you know Ogni is going to be all about South and Southeast Asian food, we want that culture and heritage to really sing. So we're looking at different textures of rattan. We're doing different colors of timber and and beautiful, you know, the swashes of green that you look in, you know, into the forests and the rivers and the lakes that you get around that South and Southeast Asian um, area. That's all our Ogni signature. So the front, the dining room is definitely going to look very different. Um, the kitchen pretty much staying the same. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about the biz- your business partner and how you guys have landed, you know, working together on what the vision is. So Rashi and I have been friends for, oh gosh, I have to say like over six years now. We, we actually met uh, during the auditions in Melbourne for MasterChef 2017 and it was just 
an instant click. You know, he actually lived in a suburb very, very close to me. I was in Northbridge and he was in Chatswood um, in Sydney. And, and you know, I got to meet his wife, his kid, his, and it was just such a open, genuine friendship that was just really, really warming. Um, you know, and we would talk about food all the time when we figured we had very similar tastes and actually probably very similar upbringings. Um, you know, so we've continued that friendship. And actually after the 2020 season I was on, um, he called me up and he's like, hey, Sarah, I know we haven't met up in a while. Um, COVID's a bit hard and all that. And let's, let's meet up. I, I have some ideas I wanted to talk to you about. Sure enough, we went to dinner and he's like, just hear me out, okay? I have this idea and I was wondering if, I don't know, maybe you could help or if you wanted to jump in on it. And he literally described the restaurant concept that I had in mind and I was trying to find a venue for. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was, I, I was shocked and I was like, Rashi, you, you have no idea. Look at all this stuff. Look, this is all that I've been trying to think about doing. This is all what I've got in place. I was like, why don't we just join forces? And he was like, oh, my God, great, okay. But it's really interesting that that concept has actually really developed and evolved since then. I mean, the heart of it's the same, right? It's all about kind of we love to say it as this, right? We say it's the modern Australian story with South and Southeast Asian heritage, right? Because it's, it's all about our sort of immigration story to Australia, our parents, our grandparents, how they lived compared to how we live now, how Rashi's kids are going to be um growing up it's all it's such a moving and like evolving and natural like transformational journey of how food identity really works um and so for us that was real key to as we landed on this soul dining venue we were like you know what Ogni's got to capture all of this Ogni's really got to show something different about south and southeast asian food well uh, i want to talk more about what what that is in a little while but Take us back to when you were young. I want to hear more about your story and your family and your family's story. Where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Sydney, but my parents are actually from a tiny village in Sarawak, Malaysia called Cebu. I say tiny, it's it's probably one of their biggest cities, but <laughs> it's pretty small compared to like any of the cities here. Um, you know, and my my mum grew up right by the river. You know, my my dad's dad was what they call a wharfie. He was always on ships, he was always by the wharf, a lot of fishing and all of that. And it was really interesting because my parents, like a lot of, I suppose, Malaysians in, in that sort of their generation, right after high school, migrated over to either the UK or Australia or, or the US or New Zealand. Um, and that was just kind of the thing you did. And so my parents came over when they were just teenagers, literally fresh out of high school. Um, my mom worked three different jobs, went to nursing school. My father went to university to study optometry and you know, it was very much a hustle, hustle, hustle kind of lifestyle. We've got to build up that foundation. And it's interesting because you leave home at 17 years old, you probably don't know much about food. You don't know much about cooking. So mum had to kind of recreate all of that stuff from memory, from taste, from feel, you know. And, and so creating that with very different, uh, I suppose, ingredients that she found here, um, she loved, she, actually, she loved to tell this story, right? She's, she would go to the butcher and she'd be like, oh, I'd love a kilo of chicken wings or chicken necks or chicken bones. And um, 
you know, the witch would be like, oh, okay. And then one day she saw, okay, you know, she has some um, roommates. She's like, okay, I'm going to cook up a big feast. I'll go and I get three kilos. And the butcher goes, wow, they must be really large dogs you have. And mom's like, oh, yes, three large dogs. Realizing, you know, he was actually, you know, my mom's referring to the two housemates and her husband. <laughs> um, but it's that kind of difference, right? Like back then, chicken necks, chicken wings weren't really a thing, but mum and dad grew up eating that and now it's such a popular thing. So obviously fast forward, you know, mum's got two kids now, me and my brother, and she's got to feed us. She's got to, you know, she's got to give us the sort of comfort foods that she kind of had. And it's really interesting because, you know, I'm very much, my tastes are very much, I love like congee, I love soup noodles, I love like fish head curry, I love all of that. My brother he loves a T-bone steak. He loves spaghetti and meatballs. He loves, you know, sausage rolls, all that kind of stuff. So mum again had to adapt and, you know, really, yeah, just adapt to that kind of taste and that kind of culture that, you know, her kids who are children of immigrants, they, they bring on a different identity with food as well. So, you know, for me, I kind of got the best of both worlds, right? I, I, I learned all these international foods, Italian, you know, uh, Lebanese food, Japanese food, Spanish food, because my brother and I were just curious. Um, but I had that foundation of, of really beautiful Chinese Malaysian food as well. You didn't start in the food industry. Tell us a little bit about sort of what you did originally uh, with your career and, and how did food come into it? <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't start in the food industry. Um, you know, I've, I've had uncles and aunts who've been in food industry and, you know, they're all of the generation that's like, never do it. It's, it's too hard. It's too hard on the family. It's too hard on your body. It's, you know, so obviously I grew up thinking, okay, well, I've got to go to university. I've got to do something, you know, that, you know, my parents can, you know, brag about to their other friends. Um, so I actually ended up studying a double degree in law and actuarial studies, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that if, if anything's biting off more than I can chew, it's probably that. I, I just remember a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of like crying into my textbooks. Why did I choose to do this? Um, but it actually opened a whole lot of doors for me. And I was actually very lucky in my career as a lawyer, you know, for about eight, nine years now, I moved through risk. I moved through, um, you know, working for government and, you know, defense housing and into, you know, PwC and eventually landing at AMP. And, you know, wor working through all of those years as a lawyer, you know, you really do make connections. It does give you that kind of feel of like, oh, cool, I'm all in corporate now. Um, you know, I've got this ladder to climb. Oh, gosh, I can set these goals for myself. But you just get this little feeling, this little sort of flame burning. And in me, it was like this little flame that was like, what are you doing? Like, you just love food and you love to feed other people. You love to be creative. You want to create a team. You want to do something. Like, make that leap. Um and what's actually interesting is the thing that, that made me take that leap was not not just MasterChef, of course, that opened doors, but um, actually my mother passing in 2020, um, which it's interesting because that grief was just this horrific but yet kind of romantic and kind of just this incredibly difficult, like a second soul almost. It was so big and so heavy that it was just this motivating thing that was like, do you know what? Your mum came here with nothing at 17 and she took a risk. She started her own business eventually. She really, you know, 
she didn't have the freedoms to follow what she was passionate about, but she did everything to create a happy life for the family. And she's like, and now you've been given this incredible opportunity, a, a great start in life. What are you doing? Do you really want to become a partner of a law firm in another, what, 10, 15 years? And, and then what are you going to do? Spend, what, 30 hours a day? <laughs> There's not even 30 hours a day. 30 hours a day in the, in the, in the office? Like, no, that's not what I want to do, <laughs> right? I want to be with people. I want to serve them. I want to show them a little bit about where I'm from and my story. So, yeah, <laughs> law was not it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you know, what you were cooking at that time and that love that you were getting for food and feeding people. What, do, you, do you have an uh, sort of a feast or something that you could, that you remember that you can tell us about as you were, you know, while you were still a lawyer? Oh gosh, I was all over the place, you know, while I was a lawyer. I was just like, I need to cook everything and anything. You know, I've got to cook the most beautiful, like super saucy, scorched, um, hockey noodles for my friends, but I need to put that next to like a roast lamb leg with like anchovy and rosemary and garlic and all of that. So a lot of my feasts and meals, which which were quite often, every Christmas was a full-on affair, um, but it was always sort of this hodgepodge of like strangely Australian foods and strangely like Malaysian and strangely Chinese and, you know, let's just throw in some Japanese things for, for good measure. Um, so there was this kind of like this, this – I suppose you describe it as a hunger as well, right? This hunger to be like, I want to feed you everything. I want to show you what I've learned this year. I want to show you, you know, the things that I love. And, oh, I know your favorite flavor is that. So I created something based on that flavor. Um, but at the heart of it, I think, is this spirit of giving. And I think I've inherited that from my mom. You know, she was a very generous woman as well. So I think just being able to to give. So those feasts were always so different. You know, there'd be pasta salad next to like a deep fried fish with sambal over the top. You know, <laughs> T- tell us about the shift to food. When where did it where did it start? What was the trigger? I think the real trigger was honestly starting to you know as my mom's health declined when I was sort of in university and coming out of university I took over a lot of that cooking at home and you know sort of that shift between helping mom out to then being responsible for you know I've got to do the weekly shop I've got to look for specials I've got to come home I've got to be creative with what was on special I'm on a budget you know and then being able to create such a a meal that the whole family could sit down to and everyone, including my brother with his, you know, eclectic tastes, I would say, (laughs) would enjoy. Um, So I think from there I just found this real joy in the, in the process of it and, and being able to serve that food. Um, For me, that was that switch. Tell us about um, MasterChef. Why and how did you end up on it? I have to be really honest about the first time I went on MasterChef. I probably wasn't the most sober when I put the application in, <laughs> um, which I don't recommend to anyone. But, um, yeah, I, I'd i always been, like, you know, a fan of the show and, you know, friends had been like, oh, my God, you should try out. Like, just go see how, you know, see how far you can get. And I always thought, you know, where else am I going to get the chance other than going to, like, cooking school, am I going to get a chance to really kind of see what my food is like compared to the person next to me or what do people who are in the, in the industry, what do they actually think of my food? Um, so one day, of course, just after some work drinks, I was just like, do you know what? 
I got nothing to lose. I'll just apply. <laughs> and sure enough, a couple, I'd actually forgotten about the application. A few weeks later, I get a call and, you know, they're like, okay, well, get ready. Um, the auditions in Sydney are going to be on this date and this date and you have to do, you know, this, you know, do come up with a dish with this and come up with a dish with that. And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? And then the worst surprise is, oh, gosh, I've gone to Melbourne. Oh, gosh, I've got an apron. Oh, my God, what am I going to do about my job? And even then I was sort of like, how am I going to tell my mother about this? <laughs> um, uh, but she was, she did take a couple of weeks to come around to it. And then she was suddenly my number one fan. <laughs> what was the experience like? Did it, you know, what did you take out of it in regards to food? I definitely learned this sort of, this, I suppose the, the biggest thing I learned was the generosity of knowledge. Like a, a lot of the times people were very guarded about, you know, their recipes and, and their techniques and what they did. But there's also a group of people that were really, really generous with how they came up with things and sharing ideas um, and, you know, learning sort of the different cultures of, and, and backgrounds of people and how that impacted their food. You know, Rashi is one of those people. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him on the show, um, but he – you know, was talking about Bengali food. He was, you know, showing me things that he cooked for his kids and he was so into desserts at the time and he still is. But he was just showing me like the perfect honeycomb, the most amazing like um, flavor combinations for ice creams and things like that. And it was just eye-opening. And then you fast forward to 2020 and the pressure's off a little bit. You've got people that are returning to the show and the generosity of knowledge and skill is even greater there. And, you know, I started, you know, making best of friends with Rose and Poe and, you know, and, and Mandy was a, a connection through them. And, you know, it was just incredible to see the experience that they've had and the difference in style and how they love to eat. And actually, I think I learned more sharing dinners with them back at the hotels and apartments than I did on the show. <laughs> yeah. The world of MasterChef is uh, a lot different to the realities of running a, a restaurant. Um, tell us about this shift into the restaurant world and what surprised you about it. Yeah, the, the, look, the shift into the restaurant world has been a huge sort of splash of ice water on the face. It's sort of like, oh, my goodness, it, it's different. The way you speak to people is different. The way you go about things is different. The way you organize your time, how kind of agile and flexible and adaptable you have to be is so different. It's, you know, it, it is sort of that kind of shift of, you know, starting to own your own business, going from working for a big corporate to owning your own business. But it's a, a little more than that, I think, especially with the restaurant business. You, It's not just the equipment. It's not just the space. It's not just you know, all the physical things. It's you rely on people, everyone from, you know, the builders that are doing your fit out to the designer that's helping you create that environment and that vibe for your place that you want your guests to feel like they are really having a great time. And then to the people that you're hiring, to the people that you're actually physically relying on to make this thing a reality. And it, it's been so interesting because, you know, corporate is – it chews you up, it spits you out, it's unforgiving. They don't really care, right? You you know, you go from one corporation to the next. But here it's sort of like I've I've really found this um this love of trying to build bridges and build trust with the people that I, I interview and the and the people that I really, 
you know, I make connections with suppliers. I've, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll go straight to the farmer and I want to meet them. Oh, I, I remember I tasted this at this restaurant. I'll call that chef up and be like, hey, who supplies that? What what can I do to get a hand, uh, my hands on that too? Can you show me what to do, what you can do with this, um, this ingredient? You know, it's really creating that sort of environment. And I think for me and Rashi, that's become such an important part of, of what we do. And we want to carry that kind of, that spirit and attitude into our restaurant as well. Um, so that biggest, that biggest shift of really, you're really, really intentionally building that trust, building good relationships and being open with your knowledge and being open with what you don't know as well. That for me has been the biggest change. Tell us a little bit about the menu creation and the dish creation. How, how do you work with Rashi to create the menu? And is is there an example or two that you can give of the sort of food that you'll have? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Rashi and I, I think we literally just started by going to the market, just picking any ingredient we love and just cooking it up, like cooking everything. And we have had a lot of fails, trust me, but literally just being like, oh, Sarah, you've never had this dish that, you know, my father in in, in Bangladesh used to cook for me. Um, I'm going to cook it for you. Or I'll be like, hey, Rashi, I've got this incredible idea that I keep cooking every year at Christmas and people love it. I'm going to cook it for you. And then we just critique each other we twist and we you know we we kind of do that and you know we come up with things like this beautiful barbecued uh calamari glazed in mango served with a green mango salad you get the sweetness the smokiness and then you get that really beautiful pickly tang from that green mango um you know rashi's got this incredible uh school prawn pakora you know, I was like, I was saying, we kind of do something similar, but I've never seen it done this way. He smokes the school prawns before and he crushes them up and then it forms this like little patty and he fries them to perfect, perfect brown. And it is just so beautiful. And I said, hey, what if I created a green, like sort of herby zingy sauce to go with that? And we wrapped it in beetle leaf. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. And that's one of the, you know, our bar snacks now. Um yeah, and, you know, I do this beautiful rub of star anise and, and Sarawak pepper, um, and it's so heavy on the pepper and star anise, and we rub that over a beautiful, like, ribeye as a special. We're going to do that with charred lime, and it's just, oh, it's just food that I would love to eat, food that I would love to share. That's at the heart of it. <laughs> That's, well, it sounds amazing. What about operationally? How are you going to sort of run? Will you both be in the kitchen? Will some of you be on the floor? Like, how's it going to work? What's that saying? Too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> um, but actually, that, that was a big conversation for us because, you know, Arashi has this passion for, for desserts. And actually, he's throughout this journey this past year, he's actually become one of the best bartenders I, I know. <laughs> so it's, it's, weird, it's really weird. But he, we were sort of like, okay, well, what are our strengths and what do we want to really focus on? And so he and I sat down and he's like, well, I want to do desserts for sure. And I was like, thank God, because I'm really, you know, you know, you know I, I'm diabetic too, so I don't eat that many sweets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, you handle that. You handle the bar. In fact, you handle all the cold things up there. And I was like, I love it by the six burner stove. I love it by the little hibachi. I love, you know, the steam that comes out of the, the combi oven. I love the heat and the adrenaline there. Um so we're both going to be in the kitchen, um, definitely full time for, for quite a bit until the wheels are, you know, fully automatic and, and you know, our, sh- our chefs can, can really take, take the, 
the steering wheel going forward. But, um, yeah, very much looking forward to it, being in the kitchen, being among the people, you know, serving our food. How long until you're open and sort of how are you feeling? How are you going to feel once the doors open? <laughs> our target date is the 1st of December and that's that's the scoop right because I haven't actually announced it but that's the target date um I am equal parts anxious <laughs> and and like overly eager I I am so excited to be in the kitchen I'm so excited to welcome people welcome guests into this place into like my little home um I yeah I can't wait honestly <laughs> It's, it, we've had a few people on the show that have moved into the food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what impact has that change had on you? You know, you come from a completely different field and moved into something that you love. What, what impact has that change had on you? It's so inspirational to see, like, one of my favourite success stories, right, is Callum, Callum Han from um, South Australia. He is incredibly inspirational, incredibly successful, and I love his work ethic. And just getting to know him a little bit through the show, um, you know, the advice he gives and, you know, the way he's so logical and down to earth. And he, he never tries to, like, knock you down at your knees, you know. He's always sort of like there to support you and there to kind of help you. And he's, he's been a great influence for me. Um, you know, and then you look at people like Rose who that beautiful cafe again in South Australia, South Australians have something with it. I don't know, but honestly, like her cafe is one of the most warm, homely, yet just beautifully elegant places. It's always my first stop whenever I I land in Adelaide. Um, and so, you know, being such close friends with her too, I've just learnt so much, so much. Um, so I think MasterChef, you know, they say it changes lives and I really think it does. Um, but what's really incredible is we call ourselves, everybody from any season, we call ourselves the MasterChef family, right? And it's just so incredibly cool to see that people have been able to make that change. And so for me, having that inspiration, I'm like, why not make that leap, you know? you're lucky enough to have some security behind you and, and you've got people supporting you, go do it, go try it. And, you know, nothing comes easy. You're going to have to work hard at it, but my God, you're going to love it along the way. So, so do it. Um, yeah. Well, that opening day is uh, veering down on you very quickly. Uh, what, what, what do you love about what you do? I love the people aspect of it. Um, the creativity, all of that, but, it's mostly, you know, being able to show someone else the recipes that I've had in my head or that Rashi and I have been like working at and working at, working at and being like, hey, what do you think of this recipe? Um, we're having trouble with this aspect. Do you have any tips? Or like, you know, kind of being like, have you ever tasted this kind of combination together? Have you ever tasted this ingredient? I can't wait to show you. Oh my gosh, you know, you're from an Argentinian background. Amazing. Show me something from there. Um that collaborative approach has been incredible. And the fact that um, I think Rashi and I are really building something from scratch, building something that is ours, something that we are solely and fully responsible for, it's an awesome feeling. It's so daunting, but it is an awesome feeling. Wow. It's very exciting times and very much looking forward to seeing um, what emerges with Ogni. And it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today, Sarah, to hear just a part of your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Anthony. It's been awesome. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
I'm Anthony Hutstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.